You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Laura Geisert and Adrian Frost. This month, we're reading Smart But Scattered by Peg Dawson and Richard Guare. Let's get into it. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Laura. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club. We are discussing the book Smart But Scattered this month. And in this episode, we're going to be going over chapters 9 and 10. So in these chapters, we're really getting into implementing strategies and interventions that are going to help kids with executive skills that they need some extra support in. Chapter nine is called Advanced Organizer. And this chapter, it's kind of setting up chapter 10 and the chapters to come, just giving you some background on basic principles that you're going to need to use if you are doing interventions. And the authors say they want the process of helping a child with executive skills to be really easy and to take the least amount of time possible. So the first rule of thumb is do the minimum necessary for your child to be successful. So if you can get away with just a simple environmental modification that the child will eventually internalize, just do that. For instance, if a child needs to remember to walk the dog every day and you put a note on the table that says, please walk the dog as soon as you get home from school, and maybe you only need to leave that out for three weeks and then she'll eventually remember if you take the note away. If it's a skill that you know your kid can do, but they just need to be encouraged to use it, you might just need a motivational strategy. So if you've set up an organization system in the backpack of the child, but they aren't using it, set up a reward system where they get points every time they show you that they've done it right. And then when they get to 25 points or something, they get something special. And then the other option is just if the child needs just a little scaffolding or game playing, you can do that. But a lot of kids are going to have skills deficits that really need to be taught explicitly, and some will require a multi-pronged approach. So the rest of this book covers how to target each specific skill and how to set up a multi-pronged program that you can use. Rule of thumb number two is to learn the principles that underlie all effective strategies. So basically, they just say, come back to this chapter whenever something isn't working because maybe you're not remembering to apply one of these principles. Rule of thumb number three, tackle specific daily routines. So there are often battles over daily routines that ruin everyone's day. And if you tackle them, you can save everyone a lot of hassle. So if a parent and a child are constantly just battling over something like cleaning the room, picking things up around the house, and it's causing everybody a bunch of stress, just put a program in place that's going to handle it. And then everyone will be a lot happier. Yeah, I really like that they mentioned that because I think some kids, they do struggle with multiple difficulties in this executive functioning area. So even I think about some of the kids in the school setting who have like a lot going on or like a lot of behavioral issues. It's helpful to just think like, just pick one that's impacting things the most, start there. And who knows, as we talk further about some of the chapters we read today, you know, there are multiple executive functioning skills that go into just one certain routine, right? So maybe there will be a trickle down effect. If you target one thing that's really hard for that child, then maybe you'll see improvements in other areas. And then you don't have to overwhelm yourself thinking about, oh my gosh, we have so many things to work on. Yeah, definitely. With these specific daily routines, they've created a bunch of ready-made interventions in chapter 10 that we're going to go over. And there might be one that stands out to a parent immediately, and you know you can start there. But if there are just a ton of them where you go, 
my child needs this one, my child needs this one, my child needs this one. Just like Adrian said, just start with one that if that one thing were better, your child's life and your life would go a lot more smoothly. And you could also start with something small, something that could be easily tackled so that you immediately are achieving success and building your confidence and your child's confidence. You can also give the child a choice of what they want to work on first, because that will increase ownership of the problem and the solution, and it taps into a child's need for mastery and control. And then they do say you could choose one where implementation could be shared by you and your spouse, but if we're thinking about speech therapists in the school, maybe if you were working with a teacher and you were choosing something that you and the teacher could be working on, or everybody on the IEP team could kind of be working on at the same time in their own way in their environment. Hmm. And then think about long-term goals. So as parents, especially, you're going to be thinking what skills will be absolutely critical for success in college or on the job. And if your child doesn't acquire those, they won't be successful. So you need to tackle that one immediately make sure it gets covered. Yeah. And then our fourth rule of thumb is to target specific executive skill weaknesses. So you could use those ready-made programs or you could design your own that really targets the deficits your child has. Use that questionnaire from chapter two. Make sure you're tackling routines that will help your child build skills in weak areas. And then also there are a bunch of chapters we're going to start going over in the next episode that teach strategies for each specific skill. And usually they'll have a questionnaire where you can really see which behaviors under that skill your child needs help with. And then if you are designing your own program, they do give some tips. Just help the child own the plan. So make sure the child's aware of what's going on and helps you design it. Remember the importance of a goodness of fit. So if you are love organization and you've set up this whole system, but your kid just isn't into it, they're not going to follow through if it's not of interest to them. Sure. Brainstorm with the child because just the act of brainstorming really builds a lot of executive skills. Always expect to have to tweak your strategies when things aren't working. Do a lot of practice, role play or rehearsals of the procedure before you put it in place. Always use lots of praise and positive feedback. Use visual reminders whenever you can and start small-ish, smaller. So begin with behaviors that are minor annoyances, build up success right away. And then with bigger problems, just make the initial goals easily reachable. Oh, and then measure progress by finding something to count and then graphing the results. So I know, Adrian, you're excited to say something. I got really excited about this one because I love tracking. I've talked about it on the podcast before. I'm a big fan of the Lidcom program for stuttering. And in that program, every day the parent assigns a stuttering severity. And it just naturally creates this beautiful graph that you can look at. Like here we started at eights and then you just see it connecting slowly move down and down and down. Yeah. But I think it's so great to be able to show the kid so I found an app called TrackKit, and it is $5 if you want to track more than one thing. <laughs> but, you know, I just moved to a new house and suddenly my dogs are having issues with potty training again. And so I want to track. So I just have track poops and peas inside and I'm going to make these numbers go down. But I want to see it in a graph because whatever you track moves in the direction that you want it to. What were you going to say about it, Adrian? Yeah, I love graphs. I think they're very helpful for visual people to understand progress. But also, you know, it made me think of progress on speech goals, right? Graphs are so helpful. And I know programs like SLP Toolkit, you know, they have that feature where you can track data and it will just print out a beautiful graph for you when it's time for the IEP. 
So I think they can really be satisfying and motivating for parents and kids both and even the SLP. Yeah, I know I used to use Canva. In the free version of Canva, you can open a new project and just put in a table or a graph. And during the sessions with my kids on teletherapy, I would be putting in how many good productions out of 10 they got each time. And just right there in the session, it would create a graph for each of them. And I thought it was really motivating for our tick kids. You're always going above and beyond, Laura. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) It was really easy. Okay. But yeah, you could easily create measurements for anything you're wanting to track. If it's meltdowns per day or chores completed, homework. And then you can also like in the app that I got, you can set reminders that will pop up at the end of the day where then you put in the number or something like that. All right. So what to do if your child doesn't want to do the plan? Try negotiating. That's always powerful. You could use more motivating reinforcers. So if whatever you've chosen as a reinforcer just doesn't really seem to be getting the child going, you could try something bigger. We had a professor in grad school that always said the most powerful reinforcer is McDonald's coupons. (laughs) Do you remember that? Uh, I've never tried it. (laughs) I think my RSP teacher used to use them. McDonald's, like he would give kids McDonald's gift cards for a big, like a big, big prize. Oh, that's nice. If they do resist all attempts, build in logical or natural consequences. So say something like you can go to the mall with your friends, but first you need to clean your bedroom. And that's using that language where you're not restricting. You're saying you can do it, but first do this. And then if all else fails, seek outside help from a therapist, coach, or tutor. On page 127, there's a worksheet that really helps you design your own intervention. And I thought it would be really great for IEP teams. You establish the goal. You write down the problem behavior and the goal behavior. You go over any environmental supports that will be provided. Go over the procedure, like who's going to teach the skill and the steps the child will need to take. And then you list incentives, including praise, something to look forward to, a menu of rewards, daily rewards. You know, you really have it all spelled out. I just really liked, I know that we already do this with behavior plans, but I liked the way it was laid out. And what'd you think? Yeah, I love the form and I had written down, you know, I could see this form being really helpful for tier one or tier two interventions before you're moving on to the SST process, you can try these things and just see if they help. Maybe the student doesn't need a full eval or maybe they don't need a formal IEP. If you can put something like this in place and get everybody on board, could be a really easy way to effectively provide help. And I just love that how it was laid out. I thought it was really easily understood. Yeah. And, you know, that just makes me think that sometimes our smart but scattered kids are the kids where a teacher calls you in They want you to take a look. They just can't really figure the kid out. You go, well, their speech and language is fine. (laughs) You know, but they're those kids. Maybe more like 504 kids. Yeah, they are. Maybe they do just need, the teacher really needs kind of a specific little intervention that she could be applying before everybody is assessing and yeah, or more targeted interventions. All right. So that worksheet wraps up chapter nine. They're just setting the stage for us to move on to our interventions. So chapter 10 is our ready-made plans for teaching your child to complete daily routines. And there are 20 of them. So we're not going to go into detail on all 20 plans. You don't feel up to that, Laura? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. 
I think I have maybe 15 pages of notes here. But I did think I could go through, you know, they they start with getting ready in the morning. So I will kind of go through that because a lot of them are structured really similarly. And then I will go into some more detail about the ones that are more school oriented because we are a podcast more for speech therapists and teachers, but also for parents. They've created plans for the 20 most common routines that kids really struggle with. You can adapt the intervention for your child's age. So if they're younger, just keep tasks short, reduce the number of steps involved, use pictures instead of words as cues, and be prepared to provide a lot of cues and supervision. If a child is older, make them full partners in the design of the routine, in the selection of rewards, and in troubleshooting, and always be willing to negotiate and use visual cues rather than verbal cues because for an older kid, that's going to feel like nagging. So let's start with our getting ready in the morning routine. So getting ready in the morning involves the executive skills of task initiation, sustained attention, and working memory. So if your child is having a lot of trouble sticking to a routine and getting ready, first you need to sit down and make a list of the things that need to be done before leaving for school with your child. Decide on the order that they need to be done in, turn that list into a checklist, make copies of the checklist and put it on a clipboard, and then talk about the process of how they'll do each item and check it off the list. So you go over it in detail with your kid. You're going to do each of these step by step in order, check it off when you're done, and then rehearse the whole thing or role play it and determine what time the whole routine should be finished in order to get to school on time or to get some reward like playtime or TV before school. I mean, I just need to make a comment. Like I looked at that checklist and I was like, oh my gosh, I did not even realize that there are so many steps required and things to remember to really get out the door. I was seriously overwhelmed just looking at it. You just take for granted when your working memory is pretty proficient and when you have been doing the same routine for years. For a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, wow, that's just, I mean, maybe everyone needs a checklist. Yeah, and you know, (laughs) it really is, we do expect a lot of kids if the mom is trying to get ready for work because she needs to be out the door at the same time. So she's trying to shower and get ready and maybe eat something. And the kids need to be getting dressed themselves and brushing their teeth and getting their backpacks ready. It is so much. And I can't tell you how many times I've been with my niece and nephew and they slaved away on their homework the night before. Like we were all talking about their homework assignments and then they all leave for school and I'm tidying up and find their homework folders just sitting on the, you know, on the table. (sighs) So these poor kids, you know, There's so much for them to remember. I do like these routines. But yeah, it is nice if you just have it in a checklist so that they don't, you're not putting so much pressure on them to remember on their working memory. Hmm. So yeah, you're going to figure out when the routine should be finished and then put the system to work. And initially, you're going to cue the child, give a lot of praise, and then gradually you'll fade the checklist and the praise as the child hopefully internalizes the whole program. So in terms of fading supervision at first, cue to start and supervise throughout the whole routine with a lot of praise and encouragement. Then just cue them to start. Make sure you're there at the start of each step, but leave while the step is completed. Then you're going to cue to begin and check on them every couple of steps or every three steps and then cue to begin and have them check in at the end. That's kind of the last one. You just say, all right, get ready for school. They do it and then they check in with you when they're all done. In terms of ideas for modifications, 
You can add reinforcers for completing the process with minimal reminders, create a point system for completing steps with no reminders or minimal ones, and you can agree on how many would be acceptable. Set a timer and challenge the child to complete the step in that time. Be like, all right, we're setting a timer for five minutes. Do you think you could get dressed? In that time, I don't know. <laughs> Adjust the time or schedule as you need to. So if the child needs to wake up a little bit earlier or if some of the steps could be completed the night before, you could lay clothes out, you could pack up the backpack the night before, things like that that don't need to be thrown into this crazy rush in the morning. You can also put the steps on separate index cards and have the child hand in a card to get a new one as each step is completed. And I love that idea. I love that idea too. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote it in all caps. I like it for school. Like I like it for kids that can't handle a lot of instructions that get overwhelmed if you say, I don't know if you tell them too many things, but if you had things on cards and they, after they complete them, I think it'd be a great system to put in place for certain kids in school. And then they've also included a checklist for items that need to go to school, which would be great for teachers to send home for students who are repeatedly leaving things at home when they go to school. So if a teacher has that kid that just is always forgetting some things that he needs in his backpack and she could create a list. I mean, I know teachers do send home a lot of this stuff, but it all gets lost in the mix. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'm just going to list some of the other ones that they they give plans for parents to use at home. So we have bedroom cleaning, putting belongings away, completing chores, maintaining a practice schedule. So that's for kids that play sports or play an instrument, bedtime. And actually, I did create a morning and bedtime routine checklist, a free one that's available either on our Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash the SLP book club, or you can get it on my Teachers Pay Teachers for free. That's Laura G. SLP. So you can just download it. It's not editable, but for young kids and especially preschool and kindergarten, it has images of each step. And it's just the pretty basic steps that I think a lot of kids do at nighttime and in the morning. You know, we see those kids that have a lot of trouble. And we were talking about it in some of the last episodes, those kids who there's just not a lot of structure at home. So they're a little more unbalanced, a little out of control at home. And then at school, they're doing fine because of all the structure. So I thought that would be a good handout to give to parents. Yeah, I'm definitely excited to check that out, especially to use with my own daughter. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) so I did want to mention desk cleaning and they were talking about desk cleaning at home. But Adrian, you and I have talked about this before when you go and assess your kids, especially gen ed kids with learning disabilities, where the teacher tells them to pull out a book and you see Mm. the contents of their desk come spilling out crumpled papers everywhere. I had a teacher tell me a kid like this. She was like, I don't know how he does it, but I'll give him a spelling test. And by the time it comes back to me, 10 minutes later, it's in multiple pieces. (laughs) She was just like, I don't know what's going on. So I think there are some kids that really, really, really struggle with this, not just at home, if they have a desk at home, but at school. And it does require task initiation, sustained attention, organization, planning. What you really have to do with them is take everything out of the desk, decide what items they even need still, Yeah. decide which will go inside, which will go on top. So if it's a classroom where they're allowed to have like a pencil holder or something like that, 
And then maybe at school, they need a system of folders, colored folders, something where they can be kind of filing things away and then take a picture of what it all looks like so that they can compare. They could have that image there printed out so they know this is what I'm supposed to keep my desk looking like and then kind of go through it once a week, one time a week. And I know teachers do that. I remember doing that in school. Yes. Like we'd have that desk cleaning yes. time. It's really hard for a kid to stay on top and follow directions in class when they can't find anything in their desk. So these kids need help. And a teacher just really doesn't have the time right. to do that with 30 kids. Slower on the priority list for sure. Yeah. With homework, this requires task initiation, sustained attention, planning, time management, and metacognition. When kids are in later elementary and they have a lot of assignments that they have to do each day, this is just something where I think there could be a little bridge between home and school because parents sometimes struggle with that and need a plan. And I think with the information they gave in this chapter, this plan, teachers could really be giving some support to help parents because they say the parents should sit down, come up with a plan, write down all the assignments the child has to complete that night. Make sure you have all the materials you need for each. Find out if the kid needs help and who's going to help them with some assignments. Estimate how long each of them will take. Write down when you're going to start. We talked about that before. Maybe planning out, I'll do this one first because it's a little easier or I'll get the hard one out of the way first so that the rest are easier. And then, you know, really go over the plan. See if any adjustments need to be made. Cue the child to start and monitor their performance throughout. And for younger kids, you just need to establish a set time and a place to do homework because they might only have one assignment to do. But it's a good idea to always have them estimate how long it's going to take because that builds time management skills. And I thought that was a cool idea for the classroom too, to start talking about time and have everyone make guesses about how long things are going to take. Oh, how long do you think this is going to take? And everyone chimes in with like 10 minutes, yeah. five minutes, and then you let them know who came up with the right one. Yeah. But yes, for this, I am going to make a quick handout for teachers yeah. to give a free handout to, to give to parents that has something similar to their homework plan and just kind of an explanation nice. of how to plan for homework, because that's another thing you hear in IEPs a lot is that homework isn't getting done and the parents are like well every day I say do you have homework and he just says no mm. or I did it already and it's not getting done there is nothing worse than that last ditch run to Michael's to get the poster board it's like you had no I, mean, I have distinct <laughs> memories of my mom like you know it's like eight o'clock and we're just scrambling to finish so oh my a lot of drama could be spared, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we are both, we've already said we're both procrastinators. So <laughs> I was with you. But yeah, when I read some of these plans, I'm like, what parent has the time to do all of these? But if you, if you're able to tackle one, not, you can't put all of these in place. Right. Okay. So the next plan they have is for managing open-ended tasks. And a lot of our kids are going to struggle with anything that's open-ended because it requires emotional control, flexibility, and metacognition. These are tasks where multiple correct answers are possible. There could be different ways to achieve the correct answer or desired result. And the task provides no clear feedback about its completion. These are things like using spelling words in sentences any writing assignment, showing several ways to solve a math problem, answering why questions, or looking for answers in the text. You can either revise the task to make it more close-ended for the child, 
or teach the child how to handle those types of tasks. And they do say you could talk to a teacher about modifications if this is just really challenging for your child. To make things more closed-ended, you can talk a child through a task and stay with them as they complete each step. You could give them choices or narrow down the number of choices. You could give cheat sheets or procedure lists, like showing them the steps in a math process. You can alter the task to remove that problem-solving demand. So have them just write the spelling word 10 times instead of in a sentence or give a child a sentence with a blank and then they have to figure out which spelling word could fit in that sentence. But of course, all of these things are like, you have to talk to the teacher <laughs> about doing those. Of course. You could provide of support course. in pre-writing phases if it's a writing assignment, like help your child brainstorm ideas or organize their ideas, and then ask the teacher to provide scoring rubrics so the kid knows what's expected on any assignment. And then they say that it's important to walk a child through a task using a think aloud procedure. So you're modeling the kinds of thoughts and strategies that are needed to attack a task. Everything that's in your head Say it out loud so the kid knows that process of thinking through things and provide a lot of guidance and support initially and gradually fade it. But this may take years for some kids. These are really hard for a lot of kids. For long-term projects, these require task initiation, sustained attention, planning, time management, and metacognition. Look over the description so you both know what's expected on the project. Brainstorm and select a topic. So give lots of suggestions and make sure that they're related to the child's interests. There's a project planning sheet on page 157 that you should look up and use. If you can't decide on a topic, just discuss the pros and cons and figure out which one to choose. Decide on what materials and resources will be needed, where you will get them and when. And then list all the steps that will need to be done to carry out the project and develop a timeline. And then transfer that timeline into a monthly calendar to make it easier to keep track of what needs to be done, when, and then cue the child to follow a timeline. So I think for some of our kids, they get so overwhelmed by how big the project is and all the different steps that are involved, where if an adult just sits down and makes this plan with them, it makes it, it breaks it down into these really manageable steps. Writing a paper, it's very similar. You're going to brainstorm with the kid, come up with a topic, organize the content. They suggest you have a child just list everything they know about the topic or everything they would want to know and then organize how they would put all those things together in a paper once they have that information. They suggest using post-it notes with each individual thing and then organizing it under headings to form an outline for the child help them write the opening paragraph that describes what the paper will be about and grab the reader's attention because that's often the hardest. An opening paragraph is really hard for me in an essay to write and I yeah, think yeah, for most yeah. kids. And then they do have a writing template with all of these plans. They have great templates, worksheets, tons of stuff in here. So on page 161, there's a writing template that can be used for kids who have trouble with writing studying for tests. I don't know if parents would do this. Do you think they would do this plan? I think it's really optimistic. You know, I, I really appreciate the authors. <laughs> They're just like swinging for the fences. And, you know, probably if half of it gets done, it's great, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe this is something where if teachers have this 
available to them to help parents who the kids are trying to study. It's not working. They are trying hard and it's just they can't figure it out. Maybe a teacher could go through this type of thing with a parent and help them. So keep a monthly calendar with the child where you put all your upcoming tests. And then about a week before a test, create a study plan. There's this whole menu of study strategies on page 163. And you make a plan that starts four days before the test. So distributed practice is more effective than masked. So if you want to study for two hours total for a test, break it into 30 minutes for four nights instead of just two hours that last night and come up with how you're going to do each one or how and when you're going to use all the strategies in the menu. For kids Mm. that have issues with sustained attention, use a bunch of strategies for shorter amounts of time rather than one strategy for the full time. Use a kitchen timer for the length of the strategy and then move to the next strategy. And then after the test, have the child evaluate how the study plan went. Which strategies worked the best? Are there any others you might try next time? Was it enough time to study? Check with the teacher if the child studied adequately and still did poorly. So if you're like, wait, he knew this stuff. Did we study the wrong stuff? (laughs) Is there a study guide that we didn't know about? And then consider asking the teacher for modifications like extended time or a chance to retake the test or do extra credit work if it's really not working. And the child might need an IEP or 504 plan if that is the case. And then add an incentive system that gives rewards for good grades on tests, which we've talked about before. And like I said, this plan did work for me. We used one of the strategies where my friend's mom used to quiz us on SAT study words and pay (laughs) us money for them. And it did work. The next is learning to manage tasks that take a lot of effort. So when teaching a kid to manage a task that takes a lot of effort, you can cut down the amount of effort required by making it brief or easier or offer a large enough incentive that the child's willing to expend the effort required to get the reward. So just break it into chunks that will take less time, allow the child to decide how to break down the task, or give your child something very powerful to look forward to, like 45 minutes of video games when homework is completed, and really reward the child more for tackling harder tasks like chores that take a long time. You could create and use a one to 10 point scale where your child rates how hard each task is, and then you can work on how to turn higher effort tasks like eight to tens into lower effort tasks. And we talked about this already with my bathroom cleaning. Bathroom cleaning is like a nine to me, but just going in and cleaning the shower (laughs) and then leaving is like a two or three. And then I can go back and clean the sinks. Yes, that's the key. (laughs) So if none of these work, try backward chaining. And I wanted to mention backward chaining again. So you just, you would do everything. If it's cleaning the child's room and it's too big, it's too hard. You do every single thing and you just have them put the dirty clothes in the hamper and then the room's clean. And then the next time you have them Mm. do two things, you do everything and then they do two and you eventually work backward Mm. because this really trains a child to tolerate tedious or high effort work and it eventually eliminates the need for nagging. Genius. So they go (laughs) over organizing notebooks and homework. I know this is a big problem. Some kids backpacks are just (laughs) a crazy mess. Yes. I don't know how they find anything in there. Sometimes they're just full of toys. (laughs) But do they... (laughs) Do they need a colored folder system, a separate binder for each subject, one large binder? These are things that parents can do with their kids. Have them involved so that it's not just your system that you're making them use. Have them involved and go over what they think will work. Get all the materials, set up the notebooks and folders, label everything really clearly, 
And then at the beginning of each homework session, the kid needs to make sure everything's in the right place, do the homework, and then put everything back in its right place. Yeah. And then redesign things that aren't working. If after a couple of weeks, you just see it's not working, you got to change things up and supervise for as long as you need to, to make sure that the child kind of internalizes this organization system. Yeah, just like with everything else, you know, that we've been reading about since we started this podcast, I feel like the takeaway is the effort needs to be there from the parent. But if you persevere and you keep going, eventually these will stick and you're giving a gift to your child. So yeah, now we're going to get into some good ones for speech therapists. Ready? (laughs) Learning to control your temper. This requires emotional control, response inhibition and flexibility. So with the child, you need to sit down and make a list of things that trigger the child to lose their temper. If you can, group those together into larger categories. Discuss what losing their temper looks or sounds like. So is it yelling, swearing, throwing things, kicking things or people, etc.? Choose a couple of those behaviors, not all Mm. of them. Choose a couple and put them on a can't-do list. Make Mm. a list of can-dos. So those are replacement behaviors that your child can do instead of the can't do's and then create, they call it a hard times board that includes all of this information and then practice or rehearse getting upset about a realistic scenario and choose one of the strategies to use from the can do list. After you're practicing for a couple weeks, use the process for real with minor irritants. So not something big, but something small. And then after you're successful with some minor irritants, move to more challenging triggers and connect the whole process to a reward. They suggest two levels of rewards for something like this. A big reward for never even getting to the point of needing to use the hard times board and smaller rewards for successfully using a strategy to deal with a trigger situation. So I like this. I'm also making something for this one. (laughs) Oh my God. Like the idea of creating one really specific to one child that's just kind of one sheet of paper. So more details to come maybe on this. It's just a a thought in my head, but I just think it'd be good for one kid right at his desk or in the speech therapy room or at home to have something like this that he can reference if he starts to get upset about something. Learning to control impulsive behavior is pretty much the same. You're identifying the triggers for impulsive behavior. When you're doing open-ended play with friends, do Mm. you become really impulsive? Or when you're watching TV with your siblings, do you become really impulsive? So you're going to agree on a rule for the trigger situation. Focus on what your child can do to control impulses and build in a choice if you can. If your child can come up with a few things that they could do in place of the unwanted impulsive response. And then talk about what you might do to signal your child. So we talked about this in the whole brain child, like with the upstairs, downstairs brain hand signal. Yes. If you can tell a kid's about to flip their lid, you can do a little hand signal that helps them remember strategies they could use to calm down. So I have been using that more with my daughter, the fist, Uh and then the flipping the lid. When she has tantrums lately, like I'll be like, oh, you flipped your lid. And so sometimes now she'll be like, oh, it's like the lid, mommy. It's like I'm flipping it. She is totally like, she's internalizing it. (laughs) It's been amazing. I mean, I know we love the whole brain child, but every time I I like try it and it works, I'm like, wow, it really. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. (laughs) We shouldn't be amazed by these things. Yet I am. (laughs) No, when I keep looking for more books for the book club, 
I see all of their other books, like No Drama Discipline, The Yes Brain Child. And I go, is Mm. it too soon to read another one by them? (laughs) Again, again, again. (laughs) So yeah, you can have a little signal and then practice the procedure with a let's pretend role play, practice daily or several times a week. And when you're ready to use it in real life, make sure you remind your child. So you set them up before you're going into a situation and you say, remember our plan. And then afterward, review how the process worked. Maybe create a scale that you could use to say how well it went. Five if it went really well. One if it didn't work at all. Tie it to a reinforcer. They do suggest using a response cost approach where you would maybe have points for the day and then you'll take away points, which we talked about. I don't love stuff like that. I like just adding points. (laughs) But I think you have to try things out with different kids and see which ones work. And you could just target one time of day or one impulsive behavior to start if it's just too much to try to implement it all the time and praise the child a lot for showing self-control. They have another one for learning to manage anxiety. Managing anxiety requires emotional control and flexibility. You can make a list with the child, starts the same every time, (laughs) of things that happen that cause them to feel anxious. See if there's a pattern. So could they all be grouped together into something like performance anxiety? Talk about what it feels like so they could recognize it in the early stages. This is also whole brain child, like the sift, you know, your body sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. So yeah, are there butterflies, fast heartbeats, sweaty hands? And then make a list of things the child could do instead of thinking about the worry and put them on a worry board. So they have a sample worry board where you kind of list all this stuff, things that make me worry, what I could do when I feel worried, practice using scenarios. And then after you practice for a couple weeks, use it for real with minor worries, not big ones. Move on to bigger ones once you're successful and connect the process to a reward and use that two-level reward. This was interesting to read because when I was reading this, I was like, well, anxiety is just a part of a kid's personality. This isn't fair to act like it's this bad behavior that you need to squash. But then I realized that a child losing their temper is essentially the same. A child who can't control their impulses is the same as a child who can't control their anxiety. So just because one behavior could maybe hurt other people more, we think of it as being worse. But the anxiety is probably hurting the kid Mm -hmm. who is anxious, right? So of course, I don't know. I just hadn't really thought of anxiety in the same way of like using essentially the same type of plan to target it as something like losing your temper. But of course, you can move past anger if you come up with strategies for managing it and you can move past or handle your anxiety by coming up with strategies. So the coping strategies for anxiety that they recommend, deep, slow breathing, counting to 20, thought stopping. So whatever you think, you just say out loud, stop and stop thinking, or you could talk back to your worries, drawing a picture of the worry, folding it up and putting it in a box with a lid, listening to music or challenging the logic of the worry. And you might need to use desensitization. So they gave an example of a fear of dogs where you start showing just a picture of a dog and then you put the kid in a house and the dog's outside and you gradually, gradually, gradually move up to where the child is closer and closer to the dog and have a script for the child to say and a tactic that they could use to help with the worrying. And it works with separation anxiety, handling novel or unfamiliar situations, and obsessive or catastrophic thinking. 
Okay, so our next one is learning to handle changes in plans. And this is great for our kids uh, on the autism spectrum, especially. It involves emotional control and flexibility. It takes a lot of advanced work and lots of practice. So you always present an agenda for a child ahead of time before a child can come up with their own plan for that period of time. So I think we've all been in those situations where for some reason a kid got in their head that they were going to do one thing. <laughs> you're like, that's not the plan. Yeah. And start introducing small changes on a regular basis. So you're gradually increasing their tolerance for surprises. Try not to attach precise times to activities unless it's necessary and talk with children a lot about the fact that changes or surprises can always come up despite plans and schedules established in advance, but they don't always have to be bad. Sometimes you have pizza instead of having fish for dinner or you get to play longer than you thought you were going to. And then create a visual schedule and put it in two places in the house. Or, of course, we use those at school for a lot of kids. But then they suggest making a surprise card for the schedule and explain that when a change is coming, you're going to show them the card and then say what the change is and put that change on the schedule. Review the schedule with your child either the night before or in the morning of that day. And then start to introduce changes and show the surprise card. So basically, you're, again, desensitizing. You're intentionally introducing these little surprises. And in the beginning, make them pleasant. So extra time to play or going out for ice cream. And then start doing more neutral changes. And then eventually include some less pleasant changes. And just introduce the changes, the little surprise, before the event so it gives them time to adjust. And they say reactivity to change decreases with the amount of exposure that a child has and success in negotiating it. So, you know, I've talked about this with myself. I'm not very flexible, but sometimes I get upset about a change in my schedule and then I am happy with it at the end. I go, oh, it actually turned out better than I had it planned. So you do build a little resilience. Yes. Our next one is learning not to cry over little things. <laughs> this involves emotional control and flexibility. So they say that children cry over little things. We're not talking about normal crying all the time. The kids that cry over things that it's not appropriate to cry over. Sure. It's to get sympathy because they found it effective in the past. So by targeting this behavior, you're trying to help them find other ways. And basically, you're just going to teach them to use words instead of tears in situations where crying is not really an appropriate response. Explain that people often don't feel inclined to spend much time with people who cry too much. No. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. This was a rough one for me. Oh, man. Like telling a kid that. Yes. Explain how to use words in Instead of tears, by having the child label their feelings, say, I'm upset or I'm angry sure. or explain what caused the feeling. I'm mad because I lost the game. When a child does use words instead of tears, make sure you're validating. I can see you're upset. This must be a big disappointment. Let them know what will happen when an upsetting situation occurs. So give a child a script for handling it appropriately. Tell them when they use their words that you're always going to listen and try to understand and tell them this was harsh. Yeah. If you start crying, you're on your own. I'll either leave the room or ask oh, you to no. go to your bedroom to finish crying. <laughs> Tough love. Wow. So, And they say just make sure no one gives any attention to the crying, even siblings or grandparents. It will eventually diminish when no one gives it attention. I mean, it's a good skill. To be able to not cry? Yeah, to be able to hold it in, you know, as they get older and that's like less socially acceptable, you know. Obviously, kids cry when they get hurt or when something bad happens to them. You know, they're like, that's fine. It's just that inappropriate where they just cry at the drop of a hat. Yeah. 
but it did feel harsh. Yes. And then yeah. you can add a reinforcer for going a certain amount of time without crying. Keep a log so you know how many times they cried in a day and how long and what happened before they started crying. And then make a contract with your child to handle the crying. So you're just making a deal with them, letting them know that you yeah. do validate their feelings, but they can't cry all the time. And our last one is learning to solve problems. This involves metacognition and flexibility. So if problems come up, you're going to talk with the child about the problem. Empathize, let them know you understand what, how they feel. Get a general sense of what the problem is from their perspective. So, okay, you're upset because your friend can't come over. But then define it more narrowly so you can begin to brainstorm solutions. So, okay, the real problem is you have your whole afternoon free and you don't know what to do. And then brainstorm solutions. Think of as many things as you can. Write them all down. Have the child look at all the solutions you came up with and pick maybe the the three that they like the best and then talk about the pluses and minuses for each and ask them if they need help carrying out the choice that they made talk about what will happen if the first solution they try doesn't work praise the child for coming up with a good solution and then sometimes the best solution is just figuring out ways to overcome an obstacle but other times it might be just coming to terms with the fact that you can't have what you want Wow. This is a tough love book. It's like Temple Grandin wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> they do have a worksheet for problem solving that goes through this process. So you can fill it out with your kid at first and then try to have them use it by themselves. I thought it was an interesting approach to solving problems. I mean, yeah, if you have a kid who really just melts down every time things come up, an issue, then this is a practical way to go, okay, what's the problem? Come up with as many solutions as we can and then which one is going to work for you and let's try it. Yeah. That was chapter 10. It was a long one. Full of information. Yeah. And a lot of stuff was really geared towards parents for the home, but we do have some that could be applied in speech with teachers and classrooms. And so make sure you look on our Patreon and on my Teachers Pay Teachers at Laura G. SLP to find the morning and bedtime routine checklists, the homework planning handout for parents, our controlling emotions activity, and the worry board activity. Nice. The value is unparalleled, everyone. <laughs> you know, in our last book, we didn't have a lot of opportunities for handouts or worksheets or anything. And in this book, there is a lot of information that could be helpful, yeah. especially to send home for parents, to get parents into a routine at home, that type of thing, and help build these executive skills that make kids successful. So check those out. Tune in next time. We're going to be covering chapters 11 through 14 of Smart But Scattered. And I can't wait. Bye, Adrian. Bye, Laura. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast. It's a community. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash the SLP Book Club to join the discussion after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? We've made all the resources for this book, including chapter summaries and visuals, available for free on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the SLP book club to download these great materials. To learn more about the SLP book club, go to the slpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club. Find us on TikTok at the SLP book club. 